Good morning. I just have a few announcements uh, this morning just to remind you as we come to the end of the year. Um, on the slide, uh, if you want to take a picture of it, I've just posted the dates that we're not going to be meeting. I know I announced it last week, but a visual is always good. Um, so November 22nd, so next Tuesday is Thanksgiving week, so we will not meet. And then we will have no Bible study December 20th. December 27th, and then January 3rd. Uh, we will resume, I believe it's January 10th. So we'll be back January 10th, okay? Um, so those are the dates we will not meet. So don't show up next Tuesday. The doors will be locked, I think. Um, and then obviously for Christmas, we take a longer break. I can't believe it's already the holidays. It's gone so fast. Um, and then just another reminder, as we end the year, um, Thanksgiving is coming up and Christmas. Um, if you need to or would like to make an end of the year donation or gift to Shannon's ministry, there are several ways that you can do that. Um, you can scan the QR code. You can text at Shannon to 52014. You can also just send me an email if you'd like to as well. Um, Shannon is obviously in ministry, and so this is a good time of year to give back um, to all that she's doing. She was crazy busy this fall um, with traveling, and her schedule for next semester, I think she might kill me because it is crazy and we had to sit down last week and we had to eliminate some things um, and prioritize because she wants to do all these trips and things so she's got some really cool speaking events um, for private uh, women's conferences that our churches are, are holding and then obviously she's been busy with Aspire so we got her schedule all figured out um, I'll be sharing more about where she's headed but she's going lots of places next year which we're really excited about because um, she's continuing to expand um, and touch a lot of women's lives. I've been hearing some cool stories about this study specifically and then her Aspire. So um, we're excited about the future and thank you for being here. I know this end of the year, it kind of settles down. Um, hopefully everyone's staying healthy, getting coffee out in the lobby. There'll be coffee afterwards and hot tea if you need it. Um, otherwise, that's all I have. Have a great Tuesday and here's Shannon. Um, so uh, this last weekend, I was in Idaho. Can I tell you how cold it is there? Uh, Idaho is freezing cold. I got off the airplane and had to wait for the hotel shuttle. I thought I was going to die. It was so cold, but the people are so warm. I really, really loved the people. They were amazing, and I spoke in Twin Falls, Idaho, which is so beautiful. Um, I can imagine that I would love to go back there in the summer. Um, it would be stunningly beautiful with the river and, you know, you can kayak and paddleboard and do all that. I saw where Evil Knievel tried to uh, jump the, the falls. And, um, but it was a great event. Um, but I'm very glad it was my last one for the holidays because how many of you in here need some downtime? Ooh, I need some serious downtime. Um, and so when you look at these dates and you say... Oh, we have no Bible study for that long. You know, think about me. <laughs> Just love me. All right. 
you can talk to Jesus. You're good. It will be good. We'll come back and we'll be on fire. And and in the spring, I, I'm not going to have a life. So <laughs> don't worry about it. My friends are like, Shannon, when are you ever home to play? And I'm like, well, not much. So, but it's so awesome. I get to speak into the lives of women all over um, the United States and it's exhausting, but yet in so many ways, it fills my soul. And um, there's a lot going on in women, a lot of stuff lot of pain and um, they need Jesus and they need encouragement so there you go but I'm gonna tell you what I need today I need Daniel and I need Daniel chapter 4 because I'm telling you y'all think you know I'm always telling you trust God trust God that I never uh, you know struggle in these areas I'm not in my car today I had to borrow a car because uh, my daughter's home for a few days to do some work and um, she's in my car of course (laughs) and um so I borrowed someone's car and I was driving here this morning and the radio was set on Fox News which okay you know I'm a Fox girl in about 15 minutes I was in the worst mood that you can even imagine I wanted just to beat someone up and then I'm sitting there I'm laughing because I'm on my way to Bible study to teach y'all the fact that God is in control <laughs> but I was in such a foul mood by the time I pulled in this parking lot, I was about to just let it rip. And I sit there and I think I'm going back to my old ways. I'm not going to l- listen to any of this junk because it infuriates me because I feel like I can't do anything about it. And I'm the three on the Enneagram. We've got to be moving towards something like I, I, I don't know how to just sit and let things be. So I thought, no, I'm going to just go back to ignorance. It's better there. But then I'm like, well, what do you do with ignorance? Like, how? Then what do you do? What's the responsibility of being a part of the solution? And then I go back to what do you do to be a part of the solution? So it it is the most maddening thing. So if any of you are sitting in your seat this morning feeling like this, (laughs) hashtag me too. And I need to hear my own voice teach this lesson. So we're going to be in this together. So instead of praise and worship, I just gave a whole, uh, I just thought I'd share what my bad attitude. And then maybe at the end of this thing, we'll feel like singing. How about that? All right. So open up to Daniel chapter four and Lord knows we need some prayer to start this thing off, obviously. Okay. Daniel chapter four. Um, I tell you what, I guess I'll read the entire thing just because y'all didn't read it, right? Probably didn't do your homework. You do know that if I end three, where am I heading next? Yeah, you might want to read over it before we get here. You know, do you ever think, I mean, I could be making some stuff up. Y'all trust me, huh? Let me just read through it and then I'm going to take it a little bit at a time and we're going to just talk it out. All right, here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Who's speaking? Nebuchadnezzar. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. And as I lay in bed, the fancies, that also means images, and the visions of my head alarmed me. 
So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream. But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw, and their interpretation." The visions of my head as I laid in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed by it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed. Does this sound like a Christmas story? (laughs) And behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let the beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be of the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be of the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump, the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know 
that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lived forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. We should just go home. I mean, wow. That makes me want to cry. All right. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. This is how he starts. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar is speaking to all peoples of the earth. And what is his message right off the beginning? Peace be multiplied to you. Peace to you. May you be at peace. This is interesting, isn't it? That he starts off with the message of peace to a story that we just read about how he's going to experience a long period of time with no what? No peace, no peace of mind. Basically, what he does here in this chapter is he begins at the end of the story. He ends um, this terrifying experience with a message of peace, something he didn't have for seven periods. This is very unique because in the other chapters, he has started out in anxiety and he has ended in 
an announcement of somewhat of a praise for Daniel's God, for Yahweh, mostly because he has either been, uh, he's either seen a great rescue or a great mystery has been revealed. But in this case, in this chapter, he starts and finishes with praise. Praise bookends the chapters. So it leaves us with the question of where was his peace found? Because he sure didn't feel it at the beginning of the story. What is the purpose of him telling this story? He says it. It is to show the signs and wonders that God has done. What is that word next? Look at your scripture. To show the signs and wonders that God has done for me. Don't you find that word interesting? All of these things in that story, he is saying that God did this for him. What would be another word that could be used? To him, right? He doesn't say, let me tell you all the things that God did to me. He says, let me tell you all the signs and wonders that God did for me. Was this a great experience? No, it wasn't. But the experience produced, God desired it to produce. And now, in hindsight, Nebuchadnezzar looks back and he starts with, let me tell you how I found peace. I want you to find the same peace. And so let me tell you about the signs and wonders that God did for me. And so what was it that he he, you know, he wanted, he wanted to produce. Look at second Peter three, nine, because I think it basically, it gives the heart of God that we see here. Second Peter three, nine. Okay. It says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What is the heart of God? Bible says that he gets no joy out of the death of the wicked. It says that he is slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy, that he wishes all people to come to repentance. That is the heart of God. And so if that is his motivation, his motivation is that all these things that have happened to Nebuchadnezzar will bring him to a point of what? of repentance. That's what he wants. And Nebuchadnezzar is saying, let me tell you all the signs and wonders that God has done for me. And so what, what did he want him to do? What did he want him to know? Well, look ahead at verse 34, because that's what he wants him to know. He wants him to understand that God's kingdom is the one that will reign. It is an everlasting kingdom. And his what? His dominion will endure from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar needs to learn something about who is actually in control, who actually has the power and dominion. And so he starts off telling us the beginning he, he puts the end at the beginning and he is saying, all that I'm about to tell you this story is so that you can experience peace, the peace that I now have found. Why? Because God has done some things through his signs and wonders for me. And what did he do it for? So that I would understand 
who is actually in control, who is in charge, and he's going to find out it ain't him. All right, so continue. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my place. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies or images and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and enchanters and Chaldeans and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me the interpretation. It's interesting. Interesting how in chapter 2, he seems to be laying in his bed in chapter 2, worrying about the future. Do you remember that? He was worrying about the things of the future. Um, he, was, he had all kinds of unrest. But what's his attitude here? It says that he was in his room and he was at ease and that he was prospering. That word actually is a description often used of a tree that is fruitful. So isn't that interesting? Look at Psalm 92. It'll just give you a description of how that word is often used. Psalm 92, 12 through 15 is a good example of that word. It gives you a picture. It says the righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord and they flourish in the courts of our God, they still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. It is that word prosperous has that same picture of this tree that is planted near water and it's flourishing and it's blooming. And so he's not laying in his bed anxious about the future. He's laying in his bed realizing what? He has arrived. He's living in comfort right now. He is completely at ease. He is completely prospering. He is thinking in, in his mind, I've made it. I'm here. I have arrived. But then all of a sudden, he has a dream, and it is the dream that fills him with fear. I think it is so funny. Anxiety is so funny. When we're trying to make it, we're so anxious that we're going to make it right? And then we finally make it. We're anxious we're gonna lose it, right? You know why? Because the motivation in that in our heart is that we know we're not in control of any of it. That's what we truly know because we know at any moment things could change and we have no control over that. And so we, we try to hold on and we try to hold on, but the more we hold on, the more it slips through our fingers. And so really innately that anxiety comes up because we do realize that we really don't have control over anything. And so now he has this dream um, and it says that he has these images. And so he calls in all the wise men because that's what he does. We know the program. That's what happens. This time, do you realize he doesn't play any games? Maybe he's settled in, 
right? He's not so crazed. He's, he's not so worried because he has arrived. Uh, he has an empire that is flourishing. And so he just goes with the program. He calls them in and he tells them the dream, all the wise men. And it says that they could not interpret the dream. I find that interesting. I think I could have, if somebody had told me this dream, I think I could have interpreted some things just based on the dream. And not to mention, they have books and books of symbols that they have found in dreams and what they believe these symbols could represent. And they just chose not to interpret this dream at all. We can't. Like, they didn't even take a stab at it. Nothing. I wonder if it wasn't the fact that they could not interpret the dream or they would not interpret the dream. It is never a good thing to tell a king a really bad prediction. And so I wonder if in many ways they become these yes men who are afraid to tell this king the truth about this dream because, I mean, keep in mind the power this man has. If he wakes up in a bad mood, people die. And so, and very often the messengers were killed. But that's just my thought. There's no doctrine in that whatsoever. All right, keep reading. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and the interpretation. The visions of my head as I laid in my bed were those I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. What a dream. Wow. So he has Daniel come in. That's no surprise. Sometimes I wonder why he waited so long to call Daniel. Uh, why wouldn't you just call him first? I don't know. Um, and But I think it's interesting how he keeps being described by his Babylonian name over and over. Uh, the fact is Nebuchadnezzar is the telling the story as it was from his perspective. He is calling him Belshazzar because he is Babylonian. And he says... Um, that he was named after my God and in whom is the spirit of the gods. The fact is, this was still the king's perspective. Did you notice that Daniel never corrects his perspective? First off, he cares about his life. All right. But also, like, he never corrects it because here's the thing. This is the king's perspective. We aren't called to always correct every perspective. You know what I'm saying? Do you realize how many things I hear in conversations all the time about perspectives or opinions or the Bible that I don't, I don't think is a great perspective? How much fun would it be if every time I had a conversation with somebody, I thought I needed to be the big, bad, great teacher and I needed to correct every perspective that they have? Have you ever been around someone like that? Because I have and they get on my nerves, right? Because at the end of the day, all that seems to happen is basically they are boasting about their knowledge 
Um, and, and we're not called to change everyone's perspective on everything. I believe that's the job of the Holy Spirit, right? And along the way, with age and experience and um, the things that God does in our lives, our perspectives are changed. What we're actually called to do is live out our own in front of them. And so it, it's just making the statement here that King Nebuchadnezzar is still a Babylonian king. He is still polytheistic. He still is calling Daniel by uh, his name, Belteshazzar. He's had experience with Daniel's God in the fact that every time he, he moves a certain direction, God brings a, a guardrail and won't allow it. But we haven't really seen a heart change, per se, in Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he says to Daniel, no mystery is too difficult for you. So he's still giving Daniel credit for the revealing of the mysteries. And he puts emphasis back on Daniel when Daniel made it clear last time that the mysteries are revealed by the God of heaven and earth. It's not a shock because what he has done in his polytheistic view is he, if you've got a really great God and he's strong, great. I'm going to add him to my gods and I'm just going to add him in. And that is why he keeps saying that Daniel is filled with the spirit of the gods. He still has failed to understand the absolute sovereignty of the God of, of the heavens and the earth. He doesn't know. So, Dan, uh, so Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream. Look at the attributes of the dream. It should bring a picture, or at least it does to me. It brings a picture in my mind, okay? It's a dream about a tree. Immediately, where do you think my mind went? Every time I ask you that, just know, back to the first page of the Bible. That's where everything comes back to, right? So there's a tree. Oh, interesting. It is in the middle of the earth. Okay? So there were two trees we know of um, from the first pages of the Bible that were in the middle of the garden, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then it says that it, its height was great, that it grew, that it became strong, and that its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. What does that remind you of? Reminds me of Babel, right? The stereotypical, the uh, earthly, worldly kingdom, okay, Babel, the symbol of that, that it has reached to the heights. We're going to build a tower um, with its top in the heavens, right? That all could see because we're making a name for ourselves and we're going to cancel out God. Um, it's a consolidation of all peoples. Then it says that its leaves were beautiful. Um, it was pleasing to the eye. What do we also know about leaves? They create shade. Shade makes gives us the idea of peace. So let's not... Let's give Nebuchadnezzar his due. He has built the most glorious uh, earthly empire you can imagine. It was strong and it was wide and it was a time of peace and they were flourishing. I mean, come on, they're known. Uh, they're, he, he had two of the ancient, um, two of the seven, what, what's the word I'm looking for? 
wonders of the world, right? The hanging gardens and the walls of Babylon. Those were two of the seven wonders of the world. I mean, this was an amazing time, an amazing empire that was flourishing in a time of peace. And so, and then it goes on to say that the fruit was abundant, right? Food for all. So this tree is producing life. In many ways, this is a tree of life and a tree of peace that all could see, consolidating all people. And it said that it also provided for the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. So in many ways, do you see this? It is a picture of man creating an empire, replacing all that had been lost, And quite an empire it was, as you described. Can man possibly build an empire that recreates all that is lost? Keep reading. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed and beheld a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud, And said, thus chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its root in the earth bound with the band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let the beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And so you have this picture, this image of this enormous tree, which represents this kingdom that is flourishing and it's uniting and in some ways it has brought peace. And this is what man, Nebuchadnezzar, has built. And then all of a sudden comes a watcher, which is a holy one, which is an angelic being. And isn't it interesting that it says that the watcher came down to proclaim. I remember when I taught about the Tower of Babel. Here they are bragging about all that they have built that they have consolidated mankind into somewhat of a secure, flourishing place, and they have built this enormous empire that is stunning, that reaches to the heavens, the power of an earthly empire. And it says, and so God came down to see the tower and says, what are we going to do about this? Right? Oh, we're going to build a tower that reaches to the heavens? God has to come down to see it. That's the point. And here's the point here. This enormous empire, the head of gold, the most glorious of man-made empires that you can even imagine, that produces a lot of stuff. The watcher has to come down to proclaim this message. And the message is this, chop it down. As strong and magnificent as it was, In one moment, it could be chopped down with one swing of the holy axe. But it leaves a stump. 
bound with a band of iron and gold. People try to um, speculate about that. I'm not going to. You'll read everything from, you know, the picture of an animal with a, a collar, this band, or, you know, is it, is it referring back to the image that has both bronze and, and uh, iron in it? We don't know. I mean, very many times these images and the dreams, they uh, bleed into one another, but we don't know. What we know is that there was a stump left and it was cut down and it was amid tender grasses of the field. Okay. So the minute I hear the words stump, my mind goes to Isaiah 11. Let's think about another stump. Because we're going to keep it in context. Don't forget, this is, a, this is a book written to the exiles, right? And what has happened to the nation of Israel who were united under Saul and then under David? And there was a, a covenant made with David, an eternal covenant, an unconditional covenant, that someone from the line of David would rise up and would rule and be the king of kings and the, and the Lord of lords eternally. But at this point, that looks rather bleak, wouldn't you say? I mean, they have utterly been destroyed as a nation. And as far as they know, the line of David has been cut off. And they are exiled in this huge empire of Babylon. And now there has been this proclamation from the Holy One that an axe will come and cut off this tree, this empire, but a stump will be left. That reminds me of another stump that has been left, which is Isaiah 11. There shall, be forth, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity from the meek of the earth. Listen to the description of this one, this king who is coming. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Your young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall be put his hand on that, on that, what is that word? Adder's den? What's an adder? Oh, thank you. Snake. Sorry, didn't know that. We didn't have that in Arkansas. Did we? I mean, we have snakes, but I've never heard of adder. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Boy, I can't wait for him, right? So there's another stump, and from that stump will come a tender blade, a shoot, and that shoot we know coming from the line of Jesse, the line of David, will be who? 
it will be Jesus. And does that not remind you once again to chapter two, the stone that came that was not cut from the hand of God, but would come and hit the worldly images at the feet and he would be a stumbling block to them and they would be destroyed and the breath, the wind would come and whisk them away. One day, the true sprout will come and he then will become the king of kings and the lord of lords and so you have all of these um this symbolism together learn to pick up on that when you hear that wow there's going to be stomp left in the tender blades all of a sudden you go back and you go yeah because there's another stump waiting that the true king will rise up. Do you notice that in that section we just read though, that all of a sudden you have a personal pronoun though? That it changed? Let me get back to Daniel and I'll show you. Where it talks about, let him, in verse uh, 15, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. All of a sudden, we've been talking about a tree. Now that tree has been given a personal pronoun. So who's the tree? No, this tree in this. It's Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. And so it is saying, so him, Nebuchadnezzar, will be wet with the dew of heaven. His portion will be with the beast. His mind will be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. So it, it shows, one thing it does is it shows the distinction between man and animal. You know how I tell you all the time that when I study, it's like trying to take a drink out of fire hydrant and I decide what to give you and what not to give you because I could be up here for days. It is so shockingly scary how we have gotten to the place in our world where we no longer see distinction between man and animal. And some of the things that we are choosing to believe and do because we don't see the distinction between man and animal and the fact that as human beings, we were made in the image of God and we have a soul. And so I'm just going to say that, but here you see the distinction of the mind of a man was taken away and he was given the mind of an animal. Men have reason. We have been given the ability to reason. Animals have instinct. What does that mean? Well, that means that they are motivated by their stomach. When we teach them something, what do we do? We give them a treat, right? They're motivated by their stomach. But that is also a picture of carnal man, that we're motivated by the passions of our appetite. All right? And so we see that. Um, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but it says that this goes on for seven periods. Do you see that? So if you read a lot of commentaries, they all, well, not all, but many of them will say, oh, well, they equate that to seven years. We are not told that. It says seven periods. So I think I just, I view it this way. Seven is the number of completion. So to me, <laughs> it stayed that way. He stayed with that kind of mind, the mind of an animal living like a, a cow, basically, or an ox out in the um, 
in the land. He lived that way until the time, until he finally got what God was, until he smelled what God was cooking. All right, are you, you with me? And until that time, he remained out there. But when he finally looked to the heavens, it was over. Um, so, I mean, you can assume it's a period of time. I mean, it's a long period of time. His hair grew like feathers and his nails were like, you know, claws. That's disgusting. Okay. He needed a pedicure real bad. <laughs> I went one time, you know how I camp in the summers? A lot of times, you know, I'm out in the woods or whatever. And I went in to get a pedicure one time and she goes, Ooh, you comping? And I was like, what? Do you understand what I just said? Camping? She goes, oh, you camping? And I looked down. I was like, did she just insult me? I go, I'm paying to be insulted. I said, yes, I'm camping. She goes, oh, you'll feel real bad. It's like, okay, well, not as bad as this. I don't think I look like Nebuchadnezzar, but whatever. Um, so... I just say it continued until what God intends is completed. How about that? And so this begs the question, what was God intending? Verse 17. To the end, this is what? Look at verse 17. I love it. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. There, there are the words right there. What is the end? What is the end game? To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. I need to read that five times. How about you? To this end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Man, sometimes I want to argue and go, God, do you see what's going on down here? Like, I, I'm trusting this, but I think they're cheaters. So what am I supposed to do about this kind of stuff? And then I go back and I go, Shannon, to this end, the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. Do you think he's surprised about all this nonsense? No, but I'm mad. Right? So I go back and I read it again. To this end, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the definition of sovereignty. Recognizing God's sovereignty. So when we do not recognize God's sovereignty and we begin to live like a wild animal motivated by our own passions, by our stomach. Let me describe to you what that looks like. Go to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to let the scripture speak for itself. It doesn't need my commentary. Romans 1, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God. Now, I would love to do a whole message on that. But I, I want you to think about, so the wrath of God, 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about um, where God releases restraint. Okay? To me, that is the picture of the wrath of God when He releases. And He lets sin receive its full due. 
And the thing is, is that God is so merciful and slow to anger. And it says in 2 Peter that he wants all men to come to repentance. But at some point, when they refuse to repent and give God his due, there is a releasing and you will experience the full wrath of what what sin brings. It actually made me cry to think about it because think about how hard it is if you've ever had to release your child because they will not return. And at least I, you know, we release them into the hands of a good God, but just to release and their choices bring the consequences that are due. I I sat and thought about that. God's heart must absolutely break as he beckons his children that he loves, all of them, all of them, begging them and pursuing them and and, uh, wooing them, and they refuse knowing what the consequences will be. But I just want to say that about the wrath of God. We have a good, loving God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God doesn't hide himself. He doesn't play peekaboo. He hasn't hidden himself from man. He has been pursuing us from the very beginning. For his eternal, his in, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Everything about our world screams of a divine creator, beauty and organization and love and relationship, all of it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They didn't honor him as sovereign. They didn't have a heart of gratitude, realizing that every single thing we have comes from him. But they became foolish in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal gods for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. He let go. He gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. In other words, we, became, we began to be ruled by our appetite. like animals, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served creatures rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner 
of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Like if there's not enough, we invent some. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Don't get stuck on only one section of that, thinking it does not apply to us. Don't get stuck there. Do you see the entire list? We're all in there. And the fact is, is that we, if we don't give God his due, if we don't realize he is sovereign over all of it, he's created all. So guess what? He knows how it should be operated. He, he has the final say. So not only do we put God in his place on the throne that he is sovereign, but we have an attitude of gratitude, realizing that we have control over nothing and everything we have has been given to us by God. And then it says, right? So not only does it say to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the low, he says, and he sets over it the lowly in it, lowliest of men. Sets over it the lowliest of men. Hmm. That, it reminds me of Isaiah 53. Speaking of a tender blade of grass, look at that one. Keep in mind, this is a picture we're talking about. A picture of this tree that is marvelous. It's uniting in ways. It's abundant. In many ways, it has brought peace. Um, it's flourishing. It's huge. It's awesome um, that we're seeing. But this Holy One comes down and says, no, it needs to be chopped down. Mankind cannot replace what was lost. That stump is chopped down, and we look forward to another stump that has a shoot coming out of it. And let me tell you what, that shoot that grows to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords does not look anything like this man we're studying, especially at this point. This pride, listen to what the tender shoot we're looking for is like. Who has believed that he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom mid men hid their face. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he, was, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We are like sheep who have gone astray. 
We have turned everyone to his own way. We just go after the next blade of grass, the next blade of grass, the next blade of grass. And then half the time we want to blame him when we end up in a ditch. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't this like a beautiful picture? We have this massive tree that is going to be cut down, a stump that remains. How long will it be like that? How long now will Nebuchadnezzar go to become like an ox um, in the pasture until he does what God intends? And that is realize that God is sovereign and that God rules the kingdoms of men and he gives it to whom he will and that he sets over it the lowliest of men, the humble. And then we see that in fruition later when we see the stump of Jesse that's going to bloom into the Lord Jesus, who is the most humble, the most humble. There was no pride in him, which is amazing because he who was God didn't think that it, you know, he had to strive to become God. He was God. He laid it all down for us on the cross so that we could be saved. Look at verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. I thought this was so interesting. Daniel was dismayed. It means to be desolated, appalled, causing horror, awestruck. Those are a little stronger, don't you think? Okay, horror, appalled. And his thoughts, it says, alarmed him. That word actually means terrified. This thing upset him. He was in horror about this dream, and he was terrified. And if you read uh, commentaries... Most of them jumped to the conclusion that Daniel was merely scared of telling the king some bad news. Okay, that has validity. We already talked about that. But I believe he was also terrified and possibly mostly terrified about the news. Because in some ways you see this, um, I don't know what the word would be. There's an admiration a little bit of a tenderness between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Even though Nebuchadnezzar is is the enemy king, Daniel has compassion for this man. He is seeing what is about to happen here. So not only is he tender or compassionate, worried, terrified, horrified for what is about to happen to Nebuchadnezzar, but I think in many ways he's horrified about what is about to happen to the empire. What happens to the empire when the head of that empire is an ox eating grass for seven periods out in the in the field? Can you imagine? I have been in situations where the leader quits. And can I tell you what happens? The rest of everybody starts eating each other. And then all of a sudden, the organization is not a good place to be, right? So I can't even imagine. We're not even given descriptions of what happened, but we do know this. The branches were cut off. The leaves were stripped. The fruit was cast. Is it not kind of the same picture as Babel? He came down 
and he divided the languages. And what happened? There was a dispersing. And so I don't know what happened when he was, um, you know, what happened to the empire as he was eating his grass. But when Daniel sees this, he is horrified by this dream. And then he says, um, you know, may this be to, I hope this, I hope this is a dream. Hold on, I got to find my notes. I think I wrote it. He's like, I hope this is for your enemy. Oh, one of the, uh, one of the versions says this, if only this is for your enemy or people who hate you. He's like, man, this isn't good. This is not good. It's almost like the greeting. You remember how you greet a king? Oh, king, may you live forever. He is greeting him saying, oh, may this not be true. May this be an interpretation for somebody else from your enemy. Um, And it's just, you know, speaking this. So when we come back next week, we're going to Oh, we're not coming back next week. Don't come back next week. I'm not going to be here. All right. I'm going to be preparing to eat some turkey, which I shouldn't because is anybody else already before the holidays feel thicker than a snicker? (laughs) I mean, I'd be, I guess I've been pre-gaming. I don't know. (laughs) But after the holidays, I need to go see Jenny. I don't know. Me and Jenny Craig are going to have a conversation, but I've been, I've been doing my thing. Um, But here's the thing. We'll, we'll finish it as we go. Um, But keep in mind, the things I want you to remember, God desires all people to come to repentance. He he does not wish any should perish. That's our God. He is constantly pursuing. He wants to be known. He is not playing hide and seek. He wants a relationship with his people. Even Nebuchadnezzar, he's a God who loves all nations and he is pursuing but he is sovereign and he has made promises and they will be fulfilled. No human kingdom can replace what was lost. It is impossible because we are broken. And all through scripture, we are reminded of that. Even back in First um, Samuel, when they ask for a king, the nation of Israel, he says, you have no idea what you're asking for. If you did, you wouldn't be asking me. I am the perfect king. I am God. There is no depravity in me. You want a man as a king. Well, when you do that, men build earthly empires. Why? We were created to be in the image of God. We were relational, meaning we organize, we we break up with people, we have relations, we are creative, we are always recreating our world with, with with what God gave us, and we were designed to rule. That's not what we do, it's who we are. And when we do it apart from God, we build earthly empires, and they may look good, and they may be even as beautiful as Babylon, this time of peace and, and, and great food and provision. We're going to find out, though, that most of them are built on the backs of the oppressed. All right? And we build these worldly empires. We can't fix the problem with human worldly empires. And so, therefore, what did God do? He brought Jesus. Jesus. 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who was humble and lowly. He was promised in Genesis 3. He was going to come through the family of Abraham. He was going to come through the tribe of Judah, and he was going to come through the royal lineage of David. That stump would produce that shoot, and he would grow into the true tree of life. But how would he do it? He'd die on a tree first for you and me. He had to pay our debt because when sin came, we were mortally wounded. The only way we could be restored is to be reborn in the spirit. And he did that. But mankind, we are always trying to build earthly kingdoms. And I have to remind myself, my problems, my security, all of that does not rely on an earthly kingdom or an earthly leader. I am a citizen of a heavenly kingdom. How does that play out on an everyday basis? I don't know. Sometimes I don't. I just know this. I am in a relationship with the one true God. I have the Holy Spirit. I am in the vine. And if I am, he will tell me how to live my life every day in regards to this mess. Am I going to be irate? Yes. Because if we know God, we have this, this vein of justice that reigns inside of us. Of course we do. We long for all things to be made right. We should. And guess what? One day it will be. But the only one who can do that is Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I start swinging the sword, some innocents are going to die. True? That's why he says, don't go after, don't be pulling up the tear. Because if you do that, you're going to pull up some wheat. You have no idea who I have where and what I'm up to. So guess what? At the end of the day, I got to believe what I say and pray. Because sometimes I don't think I really believe in prayer. Because if I did, I'd do it more. And I do it with more intensity. And that's what we need to do. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. That's, that's what I think of. And so just to remind you today, listen, the most powerful man in the known world was Nebuchadnezzar. And the watcher had to come down to see what he was doing. And in one moment, he cut that tree down and humbled that situation, still giving even that man the opportunity to repent and bow the knee. And you're going to see, he's going to look up. All right? And so there is great hope. We're going to continue this story. Uh, read it again, okay? When you come in, chapter four, read it and sit in it. Like, take your notes this week and, and the past things that we've looked at, sit in this stuff and let it apply to your own life. And you're going to see a lot more things than I did. All right, Lord, thank you so much for the day. Uh, thank you for your word that we, oh man, it, it is the most awesome communication from you to me. It is the anchor to me. It refocuses me. It helps me to fix my eyes on you. It reminds me that when I am a nutbag and I just do not understand what is going on around here, Lord, and I want all things to be made right, um, I see all that in you. You're the answer. But I need to trust you. I need to trust that you're working. You're always working. 
I need to trust that you have a timeline that's happening, that you're putting people in place. And I need to trust, Lord, that um, most things don't grow out of comfort. And so, God, am I willing to trust you in, uh, in some hard times? How comfortable have I gotten as I walk on my, uh, my roof and I am in a time of ease and comfort and prosperity? And I consider all that I have done and all that I have built. God, let me continue to have an attitude that is grateful, knowing that every single thing I have, from my thoughts, my brain, my ability to reason, my home, my clothing, my food, it all comes from you. And at the end of the day, I can worry about survival or storing it up. But in one moment, Lord, all could be lost. My security is in you. That is who my security is in. And each step I need to take after hearing from you. So let me be reminded of that every day. And in the process, be building the kingdom of heaven by loving people and laying my life down and staying in my lane and preaching the Bible. Lord, I love you so be with each of us as we go into the holidays. And what a great message right now to go into Thanksgiving that we understand that everything we have comes from you, Lord. So may we be grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.